I can tell stories about everything. Nah, not good enough. Just when I think you've said the stupidest thing ever, you keep talking. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Alrighty then. Hello and welcome back. This is Storytime and I am GamerDude. Glad to have you with us for some more stories this week. Today I'm going to be talking about Storytime. We're going to tell stories about Storytime. That's at least how I envision this episode. Because I got to thinking about Storytime this week, I've actually been exchanging emails with my cousin. And he was telling me about preserving family stories and cards that he sends to his daughters, and in other ways. Because he realized that he's the only one left to tell the family stories. And I emailed him back and I said, you know, that's kind of the reason that I started Storytime. I wanted to preserve the family stories. And going back to season one in the very first episode I did, I talked about the stories that I want to tell. I talked about Gene Shepard. If you don't remember the Gene Shepard episode, that's probably one I should remaster, actually. Gene Shepard was one of my idols when I was growing up. Gene Shepard had a radio show that was on literally for years and years and years. I was a little kid listening to it when I was supposed to be sleeping, my head under the covers, hiding the radio, keeping it low enough so I could hear it. And I loved to listen to the stories that he told. And that was kind of the inspiration for story time. And this is what I want to talk about today. Me reminiscing a little about why we do this. I think I mentioned early on, I wanted to preserve stories and tell stories the way Gene Shepard did. And I had this title knocking around in my head, Things for My Grandkids, or Stuff for My Grandkids. Because I wish that I had stories from my grandparents. I wish that I'd sat down and talked to them at one point. But you never think about that stuff when you're a little kid. And when you're a little kid, even when you're a teenager, even when you're in your 20s and your 30s, you don't think to sit down with your grandparents and go, so tell me what it was like when you were in high school. So that's really why I wanted to do story time. Now, the funny thing about stories is they're not always funny. They don't always have a punchline. If you weren't there, you don't necessarily relate to a story. I mean, some of the stories that we pass on, some of the stories we tell, we tell them because they're funny or they're humorous. They remind you of a happier time. They remind you of a unique situation. Sometimes the stories that we tell give the people you're telling the story to a flavor of what you're about, what kind of person you are, what you find amusing. Sometimes that's the reason we tell stories. Sometimes we tell stories because we like to share the experience. I mean, the stories that I've been telling on Storytime for the past six years, and that's how long it's been. I know it's hard to believe, right? But the stories I've been telling all form the kind of person that I am. Whether they're my stories or my dad's stories or stories that happen to the family, they give you an idea of what my background is. They give you an idea of what I find funny or interesting. They give you an idea of the experiences that I've had that kind of form the foundation of the kind of person I am. And when I tell those stories, I do try to make them interesting. Because, you know, how boring is it to hear somebody talk about, well, I had tomato soup every day during my junior year in high school because I love tomato soup. Okay, that's a little interesting tidbit, I suppose. Does it count as a story? But I have told a lot of the stories that my dad told because I wanted to preserve my dad's stories. I wish that I had my dad's stories preserved on video or on audio somewhere. My dad did voices. My dad did accents. The man could tell a story. I know I've already shared the story about him posing as a botanist to get the plants on a plane from Atlanta. I think I told that in season one. Just to recap briefly, he was on a business trip in Atlanta. This is back when you could get on airplanes without having to go through the gates. You would walk across the tarmac and they'd have a staircase leading up to the plane. 
Yes, back in the olden days. No, it wasn't a biplane, but it was one of those old planes where they'd wheel the stairs up to it outside, and you'd walk across the tarmac and go up the staircase. And yes, by the way, this is what an old man does. We tell the same stories over and over again. Maybe slightly differently, maybe with different emphasis, but we do revisit the stories we like to tell. But this is one of my dad's stories, and I like to preserve my dad's stories. So he was walking across the tarmac to the plane, and I don't remember what kind of plant that it was. Cattail, pussy willow, I don't remember. Something that you can't get around us in New Jersey. It was some plant that he really wanted. So he ran across the tarmac and cut some of the pieces of the plant. Let's call them pussy willows. And he carried them up the staircase with him onto the plane. And the stewardess said that he couldn't bring them on board. And he said, well, I'm the world-renowned botanist J. Headley Finch, and I need to bring these plants back to my laboratory in New York. And he was traveling with his friend, Frank. And Frank, of course, vouched for him. And so they got a special seat on the plane for his pussy willows. And my dad brought those pussy willows home. And he put them in a vase by the front door. And we had those pussy willows in the house for literally years. He wanted those pussy willows, so that's how he got them. And the epilogue to that story is those pussy willows were stored in the attic after they were done with them downstairs. And I found them in the attic when I was cleaning it out decades later. The pussy willows from Atlanta had a long and fruitful life and then died in an attic in New Jersey. But those are the kind of stories that my dad loved to tell. I don't think I've told this story yet. Now, my dad told this story with a full-blown accent. I can't do the accents my dad did. I'll try to do a little one at the end when I get to the punchline. And it does have a punchline. This is one of those stories that does have a punchline. This goes back to when we had to travel overseas. I think I mentioned we lived overseas. My dad was transferred and he wouldn't go without taking the whole family because he was going to be transferred for a year. So they transferred all of us overseas for a year and we brought the family dog with us. We brought Barney. Now, at this point, Barney had three legs. I think I mentioned the dog had been shot. They had to take his leg off. Barney was a golden retriever German shepherd mix. Golden brown kind of looked like a deer when he was running through the woods. And our theory was always that a hunter mistook him for a deer and shot him. He came home, they found the wound in his leg that wouldn't heal, they couldn't figure out what it was. My parents took him to the vet, and the vet had to take off the leg. So the dog was fine, except he only had three legs. So we took the dog with us overseas. He lived with us for a year, obviously overseas, and we had to come back. And in order to come back, he had to clear customs. And in order to clear customs, you have to be examined by a vet. So my dad had to take the dog to the vet, had to get a certificate filled out. And my dad walked Barney in, and the vet picked the dog up. Put the dog on the table, looked underneath his tail. I guess that's something they check. Opened his mouth, checked his teeth, looked in his ears, checked his ears, looked at his tongue, filled out the certificate, and then told my dad he was free to go. And Barney jumped off the table and started running around the room. And the vet looked at the dog and said, What? What? What is this? This dog has three legs. And it always amazed my dad that it took to the end of the exam for the vet to notice the three legs. Now, my dad did that accent so much better than I can. And the way my dad told that story, it had us laughing every single time. But that's one of those moments in a family that, number one, shows what kind of guy your dad is. And number two, shows the kind of thing that makes you laugh. That's the kind of thing that makes us laugh. We have a guy diligently doing his job, checking a dog, giving him a full over inspection. And it's not until the exam is over that he notices he's missing a leg. Oh, yeah, by the way, the three-legged dog. Yeah. But there's so many other stories about my dad. And this isn't one that he told, but it's one that he's the focus of. We always went on vacation and had rental houses or trailers or whatever, cottages. We were too big a family to squeeze into one hotel room. So long before Airbnb or VRBO was a thing, there was a real estate market for vacation rentals and my dad was a participant. He knew how to find them and he knew how to get them. And so when we would go on vacation to Virginia, my dad would rent either a house or a trailer, whatever he could find. 
and they were always furnished. You had beds and couches and chairs. It was like a hotel, except it was somebody's vacation home, and they were renting it out to you for a week or two weeks. And I remember this one place distinctly because it was relatively small. It was relatively dark. I always remember it being dark. Even though we were there in the summer, I remember it being dark in this place all of the time. It must have been in a cove of trees or something. I just remember it being dark. And I remember my dad trying to get comfortable. Every day it was a struggle. My dad was a big guy, 6'3", at the time probably 250 pounds. He was a big fella and he just couldn't get comfortable. There was a couch on the one wall opposite the TV. He always tried to get comfortable in the couch. He was fluffing cushions. He was putting pillows around him. And there was one night where he started pounding on the couch with his fist, trying to fluff up the pillows, trying to find a comfortable spot to sit. And as I recall the story, and again, this is just my recollection, but I remember him punching the couch and saying, that's for being so damn uncomfortable. And that's my dad. He'll punch the couch for being so damned uncomfortable. I also remember when my dad bought a piano. I don't remember the exact circumstances of why he bought a piano, because I remember we had a piano. I don't remember if the original piano broke or wore out or couldn't be tuned, but I remember he had to replace my mother's piano. We always had a piano in the house. My mom loved to play the piano. She was very good at playing the piano, and we always had a piano in the house. So I remember he got a piano for my mom. My recollection is he was replacing one that was no longer any good, but it may be that he was just getting a new one for when we moved from upstate New York to New Jersey. I don't remember exactly what the circumstances were. I just remember having to get the piano into the house. And he bought it, of course, at an auction. My dad's not paying bust-out retail for anything. He found a piano at an auction. And my recollection is he somehow got it into his Volkswagen van in order to get it home. I wasn't there. I don't remember it exactly. But I remember having to get the piano out of the van and up the front walk and up the front steps and into the kitchen. I don't remember exactly how we did that, but that wasn't a concern of my dad's. My dad was happy that he got the piano, happy that he got it at a good price, and happy that he got it home. After that, the logistics would take care of themselves. I seem to remember recruiting the neighbors. I seem to remember, like the neighborhood kids, a couple of the fathers, all coming along to help move this piano up the front walk. Because it was uphill. And then there was two steps to go up, and then another step to get into the kitchen. So there was a lot of people involved in this giant logistical movement to get the piano from the car to the house. But we did it. And, full circle, we sold that piano at the estate sale after my parents passed. And I think they had to kind of reverse engineer what we did 30 years, 40 years before. Because they came with a van and they had a whole bunch of people trying to get that damn piano out of the kitchen. My dad also bought a riding lawnmower at an auction. Now, my dad didn't have a pickup truck. That would be the ideal way to transport a riding lawnmower from the auction site to the house. But he didn't have one. At the time, he had a minivan. You're not getting a riding lawnmower into a minivan. By the way, my dad had a minivan long after all the kids had moved out of the house. My dad had the minivan exclusively for use at auctions. He needed the room to carry all the stuff that he bought. But he couldn't get a riding lawnmower into it. But the auction wasn't too far from the house. So what my dad did, he drove the riding lawnmower home from the auction. Yes, indeed. Six foot three guy, little heavier by now, maybe 300 pounds at this point, sitting on his riding lawnmower, driving it down the street. It was probably two or three miles away from the house when he got on that lawnmower. And he drove it all the way home because, you know, he got a good deal on it. Now, I tell those stories and I remember those stories and I have recorded those stories to preserve them. Because my dad's not around any longer to tell them. And we would tell those stories at the holiday gatherings. We would tell them at Christmas dinner. We would tell them at Thanksgiving. Dad, remember when you rode that riding lawnmower home? 
That's what those family stories are for. And if I don't preserve those stories here, where are they going to get preserved? How are my kids going to hear them? How are my grandkids going to hear them? How are my great-grandkids going to hear them? And honestly, how are you going to hear them? I mean, you don't know my dad, but you know me, and you know what kind of sense of humor I have, and you know the kind of person that I am. And so hearing those stories about my dad kind of gives you a framework, kind of gives you some background information about the kind of person that I am and the environment that I grew up in. I grew up in a family full of love and full of humor, but it wasn't free from want or anger or poverty, but it was all covered up really, really well with love and humor. And when you have that, it makes your life go a whole lot easier. When you have these stories to go back to, these moments to remember, it makes the rest of it easier to handle. I try to remember all the other little stories. I mean, there's so many little moments that you experience with your parents every day. Is every moment memorable? No, of course it's not. I mean, how many days do we have in a year? 365. By the time you're 20 years old, that's 7,200 days. That's a lot of days to have memories of. And the older you get, the more days you accumulate, the more memories can accrue. But how do you remember them all? You can't remember them all. And yet you want to because you don't want to forget, oh, dad was this, mom was that, mom did this, dad did that. You want to keep those memories. I talk about my dad a lot. I have my memories of my mother too. My mother was a mother, you know? Dad was more of a character. Mom was kind of more like a mother, if that makes sense. She was just like the pillar, the foundation, the anchor of the family. Everything kind of revolved around what mom did. Not that dad wasn't an anchor too, but mom was more like a fixture. She did funny and goofy stuff too, but my mom did not beat up the couch. My mom did not ride a riding mower home from an auction. My mom didn't buy a piano at an auction and figure we'll work it out when we get home. I mean, mom had her things too. I've talked about my mom taking tap dancing lessons when she was in her 60s. And I've talked about going to her recital. That was mom. I've talked about my mom chasing my brother around and breaking a wooden spoon on his butt trying to get to him. That was mom. Mom had her church stuff. Mom had her school stuff. Mom had her art stuff. Mom was more of an even keel. Dad was more of the up and down, adventurous character type. He was out there having the adventures. Mom was holding down the fort. At least that's my memory of it. That's my perception of it. As I was preparing today's episode, I was trying to come up with mom stories. I was trying to come up with mom-specific stories. And aside from, you know, the tap dancing lessons and breaking the wooden spoon, I don't have a lot of mom-specific stories. You know, there's the daily stuff. Mom was always making dinner. Mom would have us help her make dinner. I learned how to peel potatoes working with my mom. I learned how to peel carrots. I learned how to use the meat tenderizer, that hammer with little knobs on it. I learned how to use that whacking the crap out of pork chops or chicken breast. All right, just hit it. Hit it harder. Not that hard. That would be mom. I learned baking techniques from my mom, also from my dad, but I learned them from my mom. I learned how to make spaghetti sauce from my mom, but not how to season spaghetti sauce, because we couldn't season things. I mentioned things like putting garlic in spaghetti sauce. Oh no, your father won't eat that. But mom, it's good. Oh no, you can't have garlic in the house. The closest I could come was a little bit of garlic powder, but mom learned. Mom knew this stuff. I mean, she'd been married to the man for 40 some odd years. She knew no garlic in the house. Oh yeah, we had to mince onions so fine. You've seen those slap choppers, right? They've been around for ages, by the way. You see the new advertisements for them on the infomercials at night? Those slap choppers have been around for 50 years. I think my mom got one of the first ones because it was an innovation for her. It was through the use of a slap chopper that she was able to mince an onion fine enough so as not to offend my father's delicate sensibilities. He liked the onion taste, just not the chunks of onion. Yes, that's the truth. We could have onion, but it had to be super finely minced. 
little teeny tiny pieces, almost like onion liquid as opposed to little pieces of onion. We would have to slap chop that thing for a good 10 minutes. No, no, it's not minced enough. But mom, you can't even see it. No, no, keep chopping. I'll tell you when. Oh yeah, these are the things we learned. I've mentioned that my mom was very into Christian science and into the religious aspect of her life. She was big at the church. She did a lot of church activities. She knew her Bible. She believed this with all of her heart. My mom would also engage Jehovah's Witnesses in Bible discussions when they came to the door. That's the kind of person my mom was. They would start having philosophical discussions on the front porch. Well, if what you say is true, that would be my mom. We got into a legal discussion at one point. Yes, after I had passed a couple of bar exams, after I'd been practicing for a few years, my mom decided it was a good idea to engage me in a constitutional law question about whether there was a separation of church and state. And I said, well, Mom, the First Amendment talks about the establishment of a religion, but it doesn't say separation of church and state in the First Amendment. Okay, Mom, yeah, you're, you're technically correct, but you also have to understand the cases that interpret the amendment. Yeah, it was that kind of a conversation. We didn't have too many of them for the very reason that it was just too aggravating. Because the old phrase, there is none so blind as they who simply will not see, had direct applicability to my mother. My mother wasn't a dumb person. She just was very, very rigid in her views. And no matter what analysis, no matter what explanation, no matter what discussion we could have or we did have, there were times where she was just, I think, deliberately ignoring what were pretty clear facts in favor of her beliefs. I do wonder how my mother would have fared with Fox TV, with Trump as president. My mom passed in 2008, before Obama was elected. I'm wondering how she would have taken that. I think she would have been okay with that. But the thing that troubles me more is I think she would have been okay with Trump as president too. And that's a terrifying thought. My mother had some very rigid beliefs. My mother thought she was open-minded and she truly was not. And nothing I could say could ever get her to see otherwise. So I'm really curious as to how things would have gone had she survived to 2016. That would have been interesting. But honestly, I'm glad I didn't have to experience it. But bringing this back full circle, this is why I started Storytime. These are the stories that I wanted to share. These are the feelings that I wanted to share. These are the memories that I wanted to share. And it's little bits and pieces of your life, of the day-to-day -day life with your parents, with your siblings, with your own experiences. For myself, I have my own stories. I believe I told the story about when I was helping set up the drugstore back when I was in high school, actually the year between high school and college, and we had a truckload, one of those 18-wheelers, we had a truckload of charcoal briquettes. And I will never forget my assignment that day. It was to unload that truckload of charcoal briquettes. Now, I don't know if you've ever handled a bag of charcoal briquettes. You know, Kingsford, you know, those bags of charcoal briquettes you find at the store. It was literally a full truckload of charcoal briquettes. Pallet after pallet after pallet. I don't know how many bags there were, but I do remember one of the co-workers and I were assigned to the task of unloading that truck. And we didn't have any fancy equipment. We had a hand truck. We had a ramp. That was it. So we had to manually unload these bags from the tractor trailer, put them on the hand truck, wheel them up the ramp into the back of the store, and then stack them on pallets in the back of the store. Because the drugstore was going to have a sale on charcoal briquettes when it opened. Don't ask me why a drugstore was going to sell charcoal briquettes. That was what they did. I don't know what made people think that, oh, let's go to the drugstore and get charcoal briquettes. But that was the deal. I want to say it took between three and four hours to unload that truck. 
And let me tell you, after handling bag after bag after bag after bag of charcoal briquettes, my buddy and I looked like we'd spent a week in a coal mine. It was so dirty. We were covered in charcoal. It was ridiculous. I had made the mistake of wearing a white shirt to work that day. I just threw the shirt away. There was no way it was ever going to be clean. I'm actually surprised I was able to get my skin clean after only two or three showers. Now, I remember that day vividly. I remember it like yesterday. No, there's no punchline. That's not one of those stories that lives through every family gathering you ever have. Ah, oh, gamer dude, remember when you were unloading the truck of charcoal briquettes? But it's a story that I remember. It's something that happened to me, and it's stuck in my head. It's the same thing as when I was driving the parts car that I bought. I told you about this. I bought a Carmen Ghia, because a Carmen Ghia had the same body parts as a Volkswagen Bug back in 1969, 1970, around that time. I had a used 1970 Bug. I bought a 1969 Carmen Ghia for parts. I had to get it from where I bought it to where I was going to work on it. And the car was so rusted out that it was like a Fred Flintstone car. You were literally driving it, but I had to brace my feet on the sides of the floorboards because there were no floorboards. You could see through to the ground. I was driving along and you could see the highway passing underneath the car. Why did I do that? Because I needed a front end for the Volkswagen Bug. I bought the parts car for 50 bucks, took the front end off of it, sold it for 50 bucks. Because that's what you do. That's what you did. That's what I did. So anyway, the point of story time is to share these little moments, to preserve these little moments, to preserve these little stories. They're little slices of my life. They're little slices of my family's life. And I want to share them with whoever wants to hear them. And that's why I do this. So there's some stories about stories. Kind of meta, isn't it? But I wanted to talk about story time because that's what I like about what I do here. As I just get to share these little tidbits of information, these little windows on my life, either I share stories about what's happened to me, or I share my viewpoints on things that have happened, or I share my views on things that I've experienced, or I give you unsolicited life advice, and I appreciate you listening to all of it. So thank you. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being a part of things. As always, I can't thank you enough for your support, and I really do appreciate it. Until next time, you guys take care of yourselves. And I'll see you when I see you.